0: See the reading from the gospel. He, Jesus, left that place and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astonished. They said, where did this man get this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offence at him. And Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honour, except in their hometown, and among their own kin, and in their own house. And he could do no deeds of power there, except that he laid his hand on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went about among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out, two by two, and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey, except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you, and they refused to hear you. As you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. for the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. If you saw this week's uh, Clayton, you'll notice that I think this is one of the saddest readings in the Bible. All the things that could have been someone with power to heal so close to them, And they didn't see it. The possibility that you could visit someone in the Middle East and be rejected—the great gift of hospitality that the Middle East has given the rest of the world too—the fact that that could possibly happen is an indication of how desperately broken society is. It's the saddest reading. We we know everything we need to know. We know all the fundamentals. We know what's in and what's out. We know who can be trusted and who can't be. I don't need any more information. I know it all. Well, I don't know it all, but I, I certainly know enough and I know what the important things are. But that's not my experience. of I don't know about you, but I find myself, particularly in matters of faith, I'm less and less sure about more and more things. But the things I'm sure about, I'm sure about in a deeper and deeper way. Does that kind of resonate with you? There's lots of bits that the church has taught me over the years and there's lots of things that we've argued about over centuries that I i don't know really. I don't know whether I, what I know and what I don't know or what I think I trust and what I don't. But the things that I do trust, the deep experience of connection with what we call God or with each other, That I experience deeper and deeper the older I get. So the idea that there's a whole pile of things that are set that I know for sure just doesn't ring for me. But these people know. This is the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and on and on. We know who we're talking about. No wonder, Jesus says, and he's likely uh, quoting, maybe not an actual proverb, but but the Greek philosophers, the Stoics particularly, they bang on about this The same, say, you know, everywhere we go, people listen to us, when we go home, nobody wants a bar of us. It's not uncommon. Prophets are not without honour, except in their hometown. A prophet, to remind us, is not someone who predicts the future. We're not talking here about Nostradamus. We're talking here about someone who tells the truth about the present. And, of course, if we keep doing the thing we're doing in the present that's wrong, the future kind of predicts itself. The great prophets in our world at the moment, of course, are climate scientists who are not predicting the future. They're telling us this is what's happening now. If it keeps happening, this is what will happen. I don't know if you've paid attention to what's happening in the Pacific Northwest and uh, that whole area of the United States, the massive heat waves that they've had. At least 20, maybe as many as 40 people, at their deaths have been attributed to this heatwave. This is what climate scientists have been telling us, not because they're Nostradamus, but because they're just telling us what's happening in the, future, in the present, which reflects on the future. Truth-tellers always make us uncomfortable. And it turns out that, in, that when we think about truth-telling, we're all fundamentalists we all have some areas of life where when we hear something different we arc up and a good counsellor will spend time with you to find out where are the things that irritate you, where are the things that you arc up when somebody says something or does something in a particular way if you've got the courage and you've got a good counsellor together you can figure out that they're usually the things that you need to deal with in your own life They're usually the things where you've set things in stone and they need to be more flexible for you to grow and change. Wherever the resistance is, is something to be looked at. And nobody wants to do that. That's why we go to see counsellors. That's why we're willing to pay someone to sort of push us to do it. I often, when I've been seeing councils on a regular basis, um, I often think, well, I'm paying this person the next number of dollars and I'm going to see them next Tuesday. I might as well get my money's worth, which is a terrible way to begin, but at least it helps. It starts me going again because otherwise I'm happy to leave it and just turn on Netflix. It's much easier. So Jesus is truth-telling and he's inviting people to see things differently. I've been thinking about this in relation to NAIDOC week and it reminded me of three things that I've been learning over the last couple of years. One of them, many years ago, a dear friend of mine who teaches philosophy, uh, he used to teach at Sydney University, he's now at Oxford, and he was invited to go to an Indigenous philosophy conference. It was nothing like he expected. No hotels, in a tent, out the back of, of the pitlands in South Australia and one morning there was a few days of this one morning he woke up having a fairly ordinary sleep and he, he was sitting around the campfire and they were brewing up some coffee and he said oh god I had terrible sleep I had such amazingly weird dreams and everyone stopped and the indigenous men that he was with put down everything they were doing they sat around him and they said tell us the dreams he said it just dreams you know No, tell us the dreams. And he tried to tell as much as he could remember. And he realised in that moment that there was a whole way of understanding the world that he, as a Western-trained philosopher and a professor of philosophy, had completely missed. These men were taking seriously a dream. Now, of course, if you've read anything in the Bible, you'll know they're full of people having dreams and taking them seriously. Why? Because it's special? No, because many cultures in the world do this. They understand that something that we would call the subconscious is working through something and a dream is of significance. And it changed his whole way of thinking. He started to to pay attention to indigenous cultures here in Australia and in other parts of the world. There was something that he had missed. He knew how the world worked. He knew how philosophy was done. He had a PhD, which has got to prove something, right? Yeah? He knew, and then he had no idea. There's a couple of others that have come to me. Have you read Bruce Pascoe's book, Dark Emu? Many people have. Yeah, it's a wonderful book. It talks about our misunderstanding of what indigenous cultures were doing when Europeans arrived. We had already decided we knew everything we needed to know about dark people. They were less than human. Certainly if they were human, they were nowhere near as advanced and as smart as us white ones. So we already came knowing that and so missed a whole pile of stuff. It's a worthwhile book to read. Really, it's quite unnerving what you learn and what you realise your own prejudices about people who don't do things the way we do them and therefore they can't be as good. The word, the, the name Dark Emu comes from the simple idea... Uh, Pasco says that, and I've heard other indigenous men and women say this, that we are used to looking up at the night sky and seeing the stars and making patterns out of them. That in the indigenous way of looking at the night sky, you don't look at the stars so much as you look at the dark spaces within them. And the dark emu, the, the name of which is... Uh, Bami, the creator, emu spirit, is there all the time and we've missed it. Now I've had a number of goes looking at it and I'm still not sure I can see where it is. I've had it pointed out to me and, and Pascoe points it out in a few interviews as exactly where to look. But it's a different way of seeing the world. I thought, this is the way you do it. But here's another way. It doesn't mean looking at the stars and mapping star patterns is wrong. I thought that would be stupid. Because indigenous people use that do that too, but here 's a whole other way, a whole opening up of things a truth telling that I think Jesus is on about that would that i 've completely missed and then this one, which has been disturbing me for about six or eight months since I read it, Tyson Yockerporter has written a book called sand talk he 's an indigenous uh, academic who He's uh, an extraordinary individual. If you see him interviewed, he is—he kind of does nothing normal. His conversation goes all over the place. It's very unusual to us white people who are used to linear thinking. And he said one of the things, in and I can't remember whether it's in the book or in, in, in an interview that I'd seen with him. He said, you know how we are really keen on knowing where we are in time. If you get banged on the head, the first thing a doctor or a nurse will say when you regain consciousness is things about, you know, what are your name? And, and then, do you know what day it is? Yeah, it's Sunday. Uh, um, do you know what time it is? Yeah, it's about sometime after 10 o'clock. Yeah, I've got a pretty good idea of, of that. And that's really important. It's so important that that's, they're the sorts of questions we want people to be able to answer, to know that they've, you know, they've come back to themselves and they, maybe they're going to be okay. Tyson Younger Porter says, that's really of no interest in Indigenous culture at all. And if you've ever tried to have meetings with Indigenous people, uh, as I often have when I worked in Darwin, it drives me mad. Look, 10 o'clock, it's not that hard. Look, we said we'd meet at 10 o'clock. Here we are at 11 and a couple of us are here. Uh, nobody else is here. Uh, somebody's walked away. Because I know this is the way the world works. But Tyson Young Porter says, you ask a white person, where are you in space? Which way is north? Well, it's easy in Adelaide because you're saying, where's North Terrace? That's right. That's north. But there's many times... where, Where's northwest? You know? He said, in indigenous culture, you never have to ask anybody where they are. They know exactly where they are. Their, their whole way of seeing the world in traditional cultures is to know where you are in space. Far more important than knowing where you are in time. Now that just messes with my head. I don't know does it really matter whether that's north and that's south at the moment? I've got a GPS, I know I find my way around. No, of course it doesn't because I'm in the middle of a city. I'm not five kilometers outside of Alice Springs in the West Macdonald Ranges, completely turned around. People had, when I lived in Alice Springs, somebody died three and a half kilometres outside of Alice Springs because they got lost and they didn't know where they were and ran out of water. Three and a half kilometres away from a major town. The only one, but a major town. So, of course, it makes sense. But, you see, I've got the world sorted out. I think the most important thing to know is, right, it's quarter to 11, right, so we've got to do this we've got to do that we've got to finish by 11 o'clock and then... That's the way the world works. What if I'm wrong? And it turns out in indigenous cultures I am wrong. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that disturbing? Isn't that a prophet being without honour in their hometown or as indigenous people would call it, country? What if Jesus' community had known less, been less certain And been open to more. Well, the the disciples show us for an instance what that might look like. It says they cast out many demons and anointed people with oil who were sick and cured them. They brought wellness to the sick and anointed their bodies, healing their spirits. Is another translation of it. They brought wellness to the sick, anointing their bodies, healing their spirits. Hands up anyone who doesn't want their body to be anointed, who doesn't want their spirit to be healed, who doesn't want to bring wellness to the community, to the land that the Nadoc Week celebration is telling us we need. Hands up anybody who's that stupid that they don't want that. And yet we live as if we don't. Openness to what God is doing in the world outside of what we are sure of can bring wholeness. Better stop, eh? Yeah.